<laughs> My name is Sophia. My name is Steve. My name is Lauren. Jade. Greg. Ben. Lindsay. June. I'm a student. I am an advocate for mental health. I'm a dad. I am a videographer. I am a giant nerd. I am an engineer. I'm a senior in high school. I'm a barista. I'm a volleyball player. I'm a husband and father of four. I am a designer. I am a foster dad. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Good morning. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Front Range. So glad to be with you guys today. Uh, Mike, of course, it was just up here is my son, and and I was thinking about the question of the number one seed, and I, it's really it's really not a good question because we all know the number one seed in the fast food tournament is what Chick Fil A. That's right, Chick Fil A. Somebody over here said In and Out. No. Um, <laughs> Now, who gets left out? There could be controversy. Of course, we're not going to let Taco Bell in. That's not, oh, yeah. So we back here is like, hey, we're the number one seed. Yeah, tell me about it after you've had Taco Bell. Um, time change Sunday. Best Sunday of the year, right? No. Like in fall. I love the fall time change one. I, I beat time change this year, though. This is so good. So I was on the East Coast all week this week. So I am on Eastern Standard Time. So time change means nothing to me. Like I, I got to sleep in an extra hour compared to East Coast time. And don't you love me more just for sharing that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Today is just one of those days, isn't it? Like, like time change Sunday, which is always a challenge in the spring. And, and then how many of you had to get a second mortgage on your home to fill up with gas this week? Like, that's a little hard. And then I went, I went to the grocery store. My wife's out of town. And I went to the grocery store last night to pick up a cup, just little things. Like, we, we were out of milk and uh, we were out of breakfast stuff. So I picked up really just a couple of things. It was $75. I just laughed and left. I couldn't afford it. But... Um, <laughs> I hope you're having a, a good day, a good week. It's spring break for a lot of kids. And just, I love this time of year. March, March, you know, March in Colorado is like schizophrenic. It's like, it's the nicest place ever. I'm moving to Florida. It's the nicest place ever. But it's a good week. So uh, welcome to Front Range. Um, if you're new here, something we talk about every weekend is kind of why we do what we do. And we do it for kind of three reasons. We want to we wanna help you build community. We don't think anyone should do life alone. Uh, we want you to help you discover your purpose. It'd be terrible to go through life and not understand why. And then, of course, we want you to grow in your faith. And so our prayer, our hope today is that what we have done and what we will do for the next few minutes will help you in those three areas. In fact, before we dive into the, the speaking part, would you guys just take a moment and, and pray with me today. Father, as, as uh, always, anytime I'm on a stage and talking about uh, your word, it's a humbling experience. And Lord, you know me, you know that there's nothing that I can share that changes lives, but your word changes lives. So Lord, I pray you'll speak through me, through your word. Lord, we ask that. Lord, I, you may be, you may, uh, folks, you may be sitting here and maybe you want to pray this prayer along with me. Lord, I'm here my heart is open. I'm listening. Speak to me what you want me to know today. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So today we're going to continue a series that Pastor Ernest started a couple weeks ago, and we're talking about who you are. We're going through the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. It's probably, if I chose a favorite book of the Bible, it would, it would likely be Ephesians. And, and you know, if you've been around church, kind of the history of this, this book or this little part of the Bible, it's actually a letter. It's a letter that Paul, a guy who lived in the first century, wrote to a church that he had planted, kind of like if, if Pastor Ernest left Castle Rock, he would write back and, and the book would be called Castle Rock. Well, this is called Ephesians because it's written to people who lived in Ephesus. And Ephesus uh, was located in modern-day Turkey. It no longer exists, but archaeological digs have found some amazing buildings. And Ephesus was an important city, an important city in its time in the first century. And it was an eclectic city. People had moved from all over Asia to live in Ephesus. And it also had an interesting collection of, of religious backgrounds. There, there was a, a significant group of people people who were Jewish and in the Jewish faith. There were people who uh, 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 emperor worship, and that was kind of their religion, and uh, some people gr Greek gods, some people Roman gods, some people uh, wouldn't follow any type of religious, but it was a real uh, melting pot of religion and nationalities. And what's fascinating to me is it reminds me a lot, honestly, of Denver. Uh, Denver is that. I, I'm actually a native and grew up here when I was a kid, but there are very few of us that are natives. We've come from all over the country to live here, and, and Castle Rock is a, a bit like Ephesus, and, and Front Range is a bit like the Ephesus Church, and that I imagine that we have people from all kinds of religious backgrounds. In fact, just, just for fun, I'd love to know what kind of religious background you grew up in, and all, all answers are okay. How many of you would say you grew up in kind of a, we, we, we had one ahead of me, uh, how many of you said I uh, would say you grew up in kind of a Southern Baptist background. Southern Baptist, okay, we have a lot of Baptists. Uh, anybody here grow up in like a Pentecostal or charismatic background? You can raise both hands. Both hands are okay. okay. That is an old preacher joke. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, Pentecostal. We shouted and jumped and really crazy stuff. Like uh, we did that. Um, any of you grow up Methodist? Any Methodists here? Okay. Any Lutherans or Catholics? Okay, you don't know what the heck is going on. This is strange. <laughs> We'll try to keep it down. Presbyterians, Presbyterians, you were predestined to be here, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Anybody in kind of a non-denominational or Christian church, something like that? Yeah, very cool. How many of you grew up really no religious background, not going to church, that kind of thing? That's awesome. So if you looked around, you saw we come from everywhere, right? We come in Baptist and Pentecostal, Catholic and non-denominational and no church background, and we all brought different things we think about Jesus and God and religion, and that's one of the reasons we're going through this book of Ephesians, because Ephesians is kind of the Apostle Paul, it's kind of his primer, his basic guide to who you are in Christ and what it is to be a church, and so that's why I think it's such, such an important series. I love the part that Pastor Ernest talked about last weekend. He talked about Ephesians chapter 1. In that first section of Ephesians 1, it's one of those that you need to dig into over and over and over again because it really establishes uh, 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 what our benefits are for being a Christ follower, for being a Christian. In fact, I, I just want to read two of the verses that we looked at last week, Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great 
pleasure. I love those verses because it says when we come to Christ, when we are Christians, we are loved, we are chosen, we are holy, we are without fault, we are adopted. And some days when I'm just kind of struggling and not really doing well in my faith, I'll go back and read through that and remind myself, no, I am loved, I am chosen, I'm adopted, I'm holy and without fault in God's eyes. This week we're going to turn to Ephesians 2, and what happens in Ephesians 2 is Paul kind of turns back the clock. So he talks about where we are now in Christ and what the blessings are from that. Now he turns back the clock and he looks kind of at our roots. He kind of reminds us of our past. So you think about your past. Not, not, I'm not talking about, you know, sins or anything like that. I'm thinking about like when you were younger, like when maybe you were, now some of you are teenagers now, maybe back when you were a teenager or a preteen. Do you remember that haircut? Do you remember it looked cool back then and now not so much? You remember those clothes, like that was super stylish and now it's just super weird, right? I thought to help us all feel, somebody just pointed at their parents. I felt, I thought so we could all just kind of enjoy this together. I would, I would introduce you to 13-year-old me. So I think we have a picture of me at 13. Yeah, I'm the one standing there with the white coat on next to my sister. What you miss not having a color picture is those pants are green plaid. <clears throat> The shirt, two-tone green, collar, 14 inches on each side. And altogether, the ensemble is what we called a leisure suit back then. And that was all homemade by my mother. So I was wearing a homemade leisure suit with white patent leather shoes and hair, I think, also by my mother. Um, (laughs) And you would think, wow, Jeff, things have changed. But if we could get a look at my shoes right now, Things have not changed. This is what happened this morning. Um, I did not realize this until I, yes. I did not realize this until I got to church today. Um, And I didn't feel too bad about it until I was pointing out to some friends and uh, their daughter, who's in the auditorium, I don't want to point her out, but her parents can. She looked at them and said, those aren't even the same color. I said, they kind of are. Um, They're in the brown family. Um, So there you go. That's my morning uh, this morning. But Paul does more than point out our bad shoes or our our mismatched shoes or our haircut or our clothes. He talks about who we were before Christ. That's what Ephesians 2 is, is who we were before Christ, what happened to us to change that, and then what do we do as a result of that? And so that's what we are going to kind of dig into a little bit. We look at Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1, and if you have a Bible, you can take a look at that. If you have a device, you can pull it up on your device. We're going to have verses on the screen. We're literally just going to walk through the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. That's what we're going to, that's, that, that's what we're going to do this morning. Ephesians 2.1 is this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Paul says, before Christ, before you became a Christ follower, a Christian, we were dead. We were dead. And that's a hard concept to grasp. If you've been around church, you've heard that, but it's hard to understand what does that mean because, you know, pre-Christ, it might not have felt like you were dead, like you lived, you breathed, you had friendships, you had all of those things. So how could Paul say you were dead? 
The best illustration I've seen of this, kind of a strange illustration, but it, to me it kind of opened my eyes to this a little bit, was the movie, the original movie, The Matrix. How many of you saw the, the original Matrix? A lot of you did. So you remember the pivotal moment early in the movie when Neo, the main character, discovers that the life that he thought he was living was simply a computer simulation and that he wasn't actually really living at all. But once he, remember, took the red pill, then he realized this is what real life is and this is what life, uh, the life before I was basically dead. It was just a simulation. Paul is basically saying the same thing. In fact, the, the guys who wrote The Matrix based it on this idea that Paul illustrates in Ephesians chapter 2.1. Before Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our sins. Uh, there's an, a, a verse a little bit later in the same chapter, Ephesians 2.12, that says this. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That's where we were. We were dead. We were in the world, but we were without God and we were without hope. This is, this is an important uh, concept to grasp. For the rest of Christianity, the rest of following Christ is really based on this picture that we have to grasp, is that without Christ, we are dead. Now, for some of us, maybe you're like me and you came to faith at a very early age and so you can't point back to, you know, wild living or you can't point back to all those things that you did before Christ. And I get that. I, I grew up in church and came to faith early. But the truth is, that without Christ, I would be dead. So while I may not have a lot of stories to tell, I do know that if I were not in Christ, I would be dead in my sin. I would be in this world, lost without hope, without help. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. We have to remember that the life that we lived before is actually death. In fact, Paul goes on in verses 2 and 3 and describes life without Christ. He says, you used to live in sin, and notice this, just like the rest of the world. We're going to come back to that. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Again, he said, just like the rest of the world. Now he says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, and he finishes by saying this, just like everyone else. Paul is saying that we are just like the rest of the world. We are just like everyone else. This was really hard for his audience to grasp because a lot of his audience in the Ephesian church grew up as, as Jews, Jewish faithful Jewish people. And the Jewish faith would have said, yes, the Gentiles are lost without God. They are helpless and hopeless in this world. They don't know God. But as Jews, we know God. We are not subject to his wrath. We are better than they are. We are certainly better off than they are. And Paul said, no, you are just like the rest of the world. You are just like everyone else. It was hard for a Jewish audience. It's hard for an American audience. It's hard for us. Because, you know, if we're really honest about the way we judge ourselves is we don't murder, we don't commit adultery, we don't steal, we, we almost never lie. Like, like, we're what? We're good people. If you talk, if you take a survey of everyone you work with, I bet 100% of them will say, I'm pretty good people, right? In fact, I heard this expressed this week. I heard someone who was outside of not, not really a Christ follower, and they were talking about life after death, and they said, what do you think happens? They said, well, you know, I'm not sure, but I think that 
good people, and I'm a good person. I make good choices. I, I, I do good things. And when I die, I, I'll, I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person. And what Paul is clearly establishing in this verse that we have to get a hold of and we have to internalize. No, you're not good people. Just like the rest of the world, you are not good people in the words of the modern-day prophet Anna Delvey. You are not special. And that joke's for four people who've watched that miniseries that I'm not recommending you go watch. I won't even tell you the name of it. But we think that's funny. <clears throat> You're not special. You're just like everyone else. In fact, Paul finishes this section by saying, by our very nature, by the internal of who we are, every one of us, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Else. It's important to understand that one at one time in every one of our lives, we were toast. We were toast. Aren't you glad you came today? Like you got up early, you're tired, you spent the $20 in gas to get here. Like this is great. And now you get some guy who can't even put his shoes on right telling you, you're dead. You're toast. Thanks for coming. Goodbye. <laughs> Except. The best two words in the Bible are next. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. The best two words in the Bible are in the next verse. Verse 4 says this, but God. You say that with me? But God. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. Anytime you see those two words in the Bible, something significant happens in, in um, Genesis 8, it says, but God remembered Noah. In Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Acts 2, but God raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God, we were dead, but God. We were lost, but God. We were hopeless, but God. We were doomed, but God. I don't know about you, but I've had many but God moments in my life. My wife and I have had many but God moments in our marriage. There was a time earlier on in our marriage where things got really, really rough. And, and, and I was an immature guy when we got married and didn't know how to be a husband and, and just did not do a, a great job. And there, about 10 or 12 years in, we thought it was over. Like we thought, this is probably it. We're not going to make it as a couple. And we went to a marriage retreat. During that marriage retreat, a moment came and it changed our marriage. We were going to divorce, but God. We got a health report not too many years ago and Sherry had taken some tests and the report came back and it was very, very scary and we had to go back for more tests. And as we waited for the tests, we cried together, we prayed together, we, we prepared for what was next together. But in our lives, in our marriage at that time, but God talked before about when our grandson was born a little over two years ago, I sat down in a doctor's office in, 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 the, NIC, in the children's hospital in the NICU, and the doctor said, things are very, very bleak. We don't know what kind of future there is, if there's a future at all. And we were broken. We cried out, but God, but God. 
Now he's a crazy little two-year-old. He's a blast to be around. You've had but God moments in your life. Those in the auditorium, those online, how many of you would say, there's been at least one or more but God moments in my life? You just raise your hand. Isn't that amazing? Look around, look around. How many of you would say that, you know what, I'm praying for one of those but God moments right now, right now? Tell you what, let's just stop right now. We're going to go on and talk about this but God moment, but let's pray for the people. If you don't mind, just keep your hand up just a little bit. You don't have to raise it real high, but just a little bit. Somebody who's next to you, around you, if you're around, if you feel comfortable, just kind of reach out toward them, or if it's comfortable, lay a hand on their shoulder, and let's just pray. Father, I pray for people who are praying for a but God moment right now. We've seen so many times when miracles have followed that moment when you show up. Lord, we pray for that moment. We pray for that healing. We pray for that relationship. We pray for those finances. We pray for that sickness. We pray for that child. Pray for that marriage. We believe in the divine but God moment. We believe you for it now, and we ask it in the name of your son. Amen. So Paul says, but God. We were dead But God, he goes on in verse 5, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. But God, but God gave us life. Like we said, we were all dead, but God made us alive. The truth is, is anyone can be dead, but only God can bring life. Paul explains in the next verses how God made us alive. It says in verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. When We are united with Christ Jesus. We awake from the dead life that we were living. We are made alive in the real life that Christ Jesus offers us. And then and only then, we begin to experience the blessings that Paul mentioned in in, in chapter 1, that we're loved and adopted, we're without fault, we're holy. That happens when we are united with Christ. When we respond to God's grace, which we'll talk about in a moment, Then we become alive. Paul says it this way in verse 7. The incredible wealth wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. That's what God does for us. He makes us alive. It's essential. I know I'm going over this again and again and again. But we lose uh, track of that reality in our life. We just live our life day by day by day. And we don't stop and think about the fact that we were dead. We were helpless and hopeless, lost in this world without God. But now, those of us who've accepted God's free offer, well, now we are alive. We were dead, and now we are alive. How did that happen? Paul continues in verse 8. God saved you by his grace. That's the important part. God saved you by his grace. When you believe, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. But God made us alive. But God saved us by His grace. We're 100% reliant on God's grace. There is no good thing that I did that made me alive. There's also no bad thing that I did that would keep me from being alive. God, God doesn't have a scorecard and go, all right, one more, one more good thing, boom, you're in. He also doesn't have a scorecard going, well, you know, 
you messed up 18 times, 20 times, 1,000 times, you, you can't get in. It doesn't have anything to do with a scorecard. It has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you've been. It's that God's grace. He loves you. He wants you to be with him. Uh, closest I can think of an illustration of this is years ago, when we lived in South Carolina, I got to be friends with, with, with a little bit older guy. He was a, became a mentor in my life, and, and we did some ministry together and did other things together and just enjoyed being, being, being together. And he had done really well in business before he retired, and he was CEO of Fortune 500 uh, a company and then retired in Charleston. He had a beautiful home on the water and a boat, and he, he uh, was a member of a golf club and, and all of that. And one day we were sitting, I think we were having coffee back at Barnes & Noble. That's where we used to meet, and we were having coffee. And he said, hey, Jeff, I, I just want to give something to you. Um, and he slid it across the table, and I opened it up, and it was a membership to his golf club. And he bought a membership to his golf club for me. I hadn't earned it. Like, there was nothing good that I had done. And I was a terrible golfer, so it wasn't that I was a great golfer. He said, you know what? I just like hanging out with you. I'd love for you to be able to play with me on my golf course. And so I just thought I'd get you a membership to the golf course. That was amazing. Like, that was amazing. I couldn't, I couldn't have paid for that cost way more than I had. I couldn't have earned it. There's no good thing I could do that deserved that. Why would he do that for me? Because he liked me. He wanted to hang out with me. That's what Paul is saying. God looked at you and me when we were dead, helpless and hopeless, lost in this world. He said, I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. I love you. And so I'm going to pay the full price. My son, Jesus, is going to come and die on the cross. And that's going to pay for all the bad things that you've done, all the sin in your life. You can't earn this, but by my grace, my unmerited favor, my, my love for you, I'm going to invite you into my family. I'm going to save you by grace. See, God loves you. He chose you. He saved you by his grace. You can't take any credit for it. Like you can't go, well, look at, look at this. Look at what I got. It's a free gift from God. You simply accept it from him. And now we get to the most amazing part. This next verse we're going to do in two parts. This is, this is my life verse. I, 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 I think about this verse all the time. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us in Christ Jesus. But God made us alive. But God saved us by his grace. But God made us his masterpiece. Remember the process. Like he took something that was dead, that was useless, that was worthless, that had no help no, or had no hope in this world. That was you. That was me. And he took it and he turned it into, created it into a masterpiece. And I'm a, I've probably told you before, I'm an I'm a art junkie. I like art. When Sherry and I travel, we go to museums. And we've had the opportunity to go to Europe a couple of times. And when we were in Italy, we saw Michelangelo's uh, statue of David. And it's this huge, immaculate, amazing statue. It's a masterpiece. We were in uh, Paris one time. We went to the Louvre. And we saw uh, Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece, the Mona Lisa. And saw this picture that people say is the greatest picture ever painted. It's amazing to me that God looked at you and God looked at me and said, I can do better than Michelangelo or da Vinci. I can create a masterpiece. And what's cool is it's not just the good stuff. He takes the bad stuff. He takes the wounds and the scars and even the, the, the sin. And he takes it and reforms it in us and creates us, recreates us in Christ Jesus to be a masterpiece. Why? Why, why? why did he take us from dead 
and made us alive and saved us by grace and then turned us into a masterpiece. Well, it, 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 it all is summed up in the last part of that last verse in, Matthew, or in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, here's where we get it wrong all the time. In our heads, in our hearts, we do good things so that God will like us and we get to be his child and then we get to go to heaven when we die. And Paul says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He says, that's, that's completely upside down. He says, God looked at you and you were dead and could do nothing for him. And he saved you by his grace. And then he formed you into a masterpiece. And now you get to do good works, not so that he'll like you better. He couldn't. He likes you completely. But because that gives you your purpose in life. The reason we're here is for the good works that God created us to do. Now, here's the problem is when we talk about good works in church, we go to the big things like, oh, okay, so that means if I'm going to fulfill, fulfill what God created me to do, I, I should be a missionary like my friend Mel. Or I should plant a church like Pastor Ernst. Or I should start a, 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 an organization, a ministry organization like my friend Rob. And those are good things. Those are great things. But those are not necessarily at all the good things that God created us to do. See, what I think is one of the good things that God created some of you to do, some of you have little children in the home, little, little, little knee biters around the house, right? And it's hard. Like, especially like I was talking to my son-in-law uh, before a service, and he said that last night the little two-year-old decided every hour would be a good time to get up and, and, and play. Like, at the end of a, day, a night like that, you're like, I, I can't take it anymore. But they're raising, you're raising future, future uh, overcomers, future leaders, future uh, kingdom builders. And that's the good work that God has called you to do is what you're doing with that next generation. For many of you, you volunteer here at Front Range, either in our, our kids ministry or our student ministry, and you're, you're, you're teaching kids, you're teaching, teaching teens about what it means to follow Jesus, not with, just with your words, but you're letting them into your lives, you're being a small group leader. That's a good work that God created you to do. Some of you tomorrow morning are going to get up and you're going to go to a job that's not your dream job. It's not the job that when you got out of high school, you thought this would be the most amazing thing. But you get up every day and you go and you do that job. Why? Because you provide for your family so that you can raise these, these, these little overcomers and kingdom builders and you can take care of your, your, your spouse and your spouse may work too and you take care of each other. And, and that just seems like just ordinary everyday life. And I think, no, Paul would say, hey, no, that's part of the good work that God created you to do. Some of you have friends and family who are not Christ followers and somewhere you've written their name down on a piece of paper or digitally. And every day that as you, when you spend a few moments in prayer, you stop and you say, God, I just speak to James Hart. Like if, I, if there's a way I can talk to him. Like, like, like uh, God, Sue is just such an incredible person. How, how can I help them follow you? And you pray for those people. And it seems small and simple. And Paul would say, no, that's not small and simple. That, that's the good work that God created you to do. See, here's where we get mixed up. We think of ourselves individually, each individual, as this individual masterpiece, this individual person who does their thing on their own. And so we have to do these huge things, right, so that we can make some sort of impact. And that's not how it works. God takes you and you and you and you and you and me and he puts us together. Paul talks about in 
Corinthians, how we're, we're all part of the body. And then together, you do your good works, and you do your good works, and you do your good works, and I do my good works. And together, we have this unbelievable impact on the world. Like, Jesus Christ through us changes the world as we do the good works that we were created to do. Like, all you have to do is go back to the very beginning of the, of the Christian church. After Jesus was resurrected, after Paul wrote these letters, after he died and Peter died and John died, and then this, this church, this little church existed. And, and soon, over the next few uh, decades and then a couple of centuries, this little church changed the world, like literally changed the world, became the most dominant force in the world. How did that happen? Because of great sermons, because of great cathedrals, because of these huge things? No. A lot of it happened because Christ followers were living in this house. And next door, their next door neighbor got sick with something that no one knew how to cure it. And so this family went next door and brought them some food and cleaned their house and took care of their kids. Did you know that? That was the most transformational thing the early church did. That is what grew the church. Was it that one family helping that other family? No, it was as all these masterpieces together did good works and it changed the world. So what is God saying to you today? One of the things I'd love for you to consider if you're here or online, it's a strange question, but are you dead? Are you dead? Like, you may feel alive. But if you haven't followed Jesus, if you haven't been saved by grace, if you haven't discovered the good works that God created you to do, if you're not living in community with Jesus, then according to Paul and according to experience, then you're dead. But the good news is today you can come to life. Today you can accept God's free grace. Like you don't have to work your way up to it. You don't have to get better. You just have to say, God, I surrender. I give up. And God saves you by his grace. And you're no longer dead, but you're alive. So for some of you today, today's that day. Today's the day when you cross over into life from death. And for the rest of us, our, Paul talks in another part of scripture. He says, don't be weary in well-doing. And some of us are weary in well-doing. We're weary as parents. We're weary as workers. We're, we're weary in praying for our friends and our, 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 our relatives. And I would say, don't be weary. Like today, let God encourage you that you're doing the good works. And then for some of us, we just need to know what the good works are. Like we need to know, God, show me. Is what I'm doing what I'm created to do? Is there, is there more you're calling me to? Do I, do I need to just rest in what I'm doing that this is what you created me for? And today can be a moment as we reflect together on what God is saying. Would you close your eyes where you're at? If you're online, maybe you could close your eyes as well because just focus on yourself. As I said, some of us may not be Christ followers. We're actually dead in this world. And maybe you want to come to life. You could pray a prayer along with me, maybe something like this. Father, I just pray that I can change. Lord, I've walked my own path. I've done my own things. And Lord, I realize that my life is going nowhere. It's a, it's a dead end. Lord, today I want to change. I accept your offer of grace. I don't even understand what that means or all that, that goes into that. But Lord, I just, I, I just want to be your friend. And I want you to be my friend. And Lord, I want to be made alive in Christ.
So that's my prayer today. Lord, I pray for the rest of us. I pray that, Lord, for those who are weary, that they will find strength. For those who are confused, that they will find clarity. For those who are feeling discouraged, that they'll find hope. And Lord, I pray that as each of us responds to what you're calling us to do in our own home, in our own neighborhood, our own workplace, that we will do the good works that will change the world. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.